0: I'm Erica. Hi,
1: I'm Ashley.
0: And we own own Cloverleaf Midwifery 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 in Florida State. We are one licensed midwife and one student midwife. However, we're not your midwives. We seek out current and evidence based stats and information for topics we present. But this podcast should not be used as a substitute for real obstetrical or gynecological care, nor should it serve to replace the advice of your chosen provider
1: we do encourage you to ask hard questions and or seek out care of a provider that is a better fit for your needs. Please also note that we absolutely use filthy language during our discussions, which may occasionally be about controversial or triggering subject matter.
0: So So now now that's out of the way, who who wants wants to get get buzzed and talk talk about birth shit?
1: Okay. I feel like, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I feel like my part is going to be pretty short and sweet, mm-hmm. um, and maybe yours will be more interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, we're gonna start over, okay? So that we can have like a nice little introduction. But I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking I'll go first with like the history, um, and it's pretty meaty, and then um, <coughs> can you can. Wrap it up you can uh, wrap it up with our, like, current state of midwifery.
1: Okay. Hi. Hi. I'm Erica. I'm Ashley. And we are midwives with midwives. Uh, <laughs> You're supposed to say it, you loser. leaving
0: me hanging. Uh, we didn't talk about <laughs> doing that. So I suppose. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, So, thanks for joining us. We're going to get into um, the history of midwifery Mm. today and, like, our law and rule here in Florida, um, as well as maybe some other, like, fun little factoids. Um, So, I think I'm just going to jump right in. I mean, I feel like you should. You've got... There's a, a lot of info here. There's a fuck ton of info here. Um. So I found this uh, dissertation. This is called A Cascade of Intervention, Legislating Midwifery in Florida, 1920 to 1992 mm. by Megan Bowes, B-O-W-E-S, mm. from 2014. Um, from... The University of South Florida. Nice. Right. So, um, now, this was an extremely uh, lengthy dissertation.
1: Sure.
0: Actually, I take that back. I've, I've seen some dissertations that were hundreds and hundreds of pages long. I think this was still under 200 pages.
1: Does it say on there was she studying to become, like a CNN or something? Like, why did she write it?
0: Mm. It was just the dissertation. I, I could actually try to Go and find uh
1: the one i'm reading now i believe it's on the bottom at the bottom mm-hmm. like
0: what for? Uh, it just says um that megan Bowes is from port st Lucie and received uh her bachelor's degree in history um Oh, University of Central Florida. Excuse me. Um, but I actually believe it was USF's uh, logo was at the top. Not USF. I'm really sorry. I must have. <laughs> can, we can <laughs> cut all that out. Uh, this was from Florida State University College of Arts and Sciences. Um, but yeah, then at the um, so this is, like, her cover page. Uh, so maybe that was, it says, a thesis submitted to the Department of History and partial fulfillment of the requirements for the degree of Master of Arts. Huh. Okay. So, um, yeah, I can't see where, what she was, like, going for. Okay. Um Um. <clears throat> Okay. Anyway,
1: Play it on, with Erica. Um,
0: sorry for all that useless fluff. So I think I would actually like to start by just like reading her introduction okay. in this dissertation. Um, just because I found it really riveting. Um, and I'm I'm not going to. Um, read the entire thing, but probably about like 80% of it. For most of human history, women administered and controlled the birthing process while men rarely ventured into birthing spaces. During the middle ages, European women, often healers and members of their local communities sought their medical expertise and assistance. Their presence during childbirth provided support for the mother and the gathering provided an education and provided an educative function that allowed midwives to acquire knowledge about the processes of childbirth. Most women involved in midwifery gained practical experience by observing and assisting neighbors' births or assisting other midwives throughout the lying in period. During the Renaissance, new developments in scientific inquiry, inquiry, new developments in scientific inquiry saw pregnancy included in studies of human anatomy. As scientific discoveries about anatomy were introduced into medical training programs, which were only available to upper class men, male physicians began to have more contact with the birthing process. As medical schools and training programs were established throughout continental Europe during the 15th and 16th centuries, midwives came under control of the church and were affected by the inquisition in some parts of Europe. For the English church, The focus on controlling midwifery stemmed from two concerns, baptism and potential witchcraft practices. Particularly in cases where infants might not survive, bishops wanted to ensure that midwives were properly instructed to perform baptisms on infants when priests were unavailable. If there were any chance that midwives might be using witchcraft and magic while assisting in a delivery, the church wanted to keep a watchful eye on them church rules required midwives to take an oath swearing quote to be diligent and faithful and ready to help every woman laboring with child as well as the poor as the rich and in time of necessity not to forsake the poor woman to go to the rich. Once they took the oath midwives were legally able to practice their craft craft, but they could not use uh, traditional herbs and oils Although midwives were unable to attend medical schools in Europe, that did not mean that they were not qualified to assist births. As the population began to grow, concerns about infant mortality rates and the skills of birth attendants caused many European countries to develop midwifery courses in an attempt to improve their skills. In Paris during the 16th century, authorities passed a statute regulating midwifery. As a result, midwife applicants had to pass an examination and provide a character witness. Similar statutes began to appear in other countries and professional midwifery spread rapidly through continental Europe. Male physicians and surgeons only wanted to control midwives, not displace them. The introduction of obstetrical forceps by uh, Peter Chamberlain in the early 17th century greatly influenced the role played by males in the delivery of babies. Initially kept a secret for more than a century, forceps allowed surgeons and male midwives to swiftly deliver the fetus during a difficult delivery, which in turn saved both the lives of the mother and infant. According to historians, Richard and Dorothy Wirtz, the transition from female attended deliveries to the inclusion of male physicians was a turning point in early American medicine. Women in the British colonies of North America during the 18th century typically relied on female midwives during labor. Female relatives and friends provided emotional support during and after the birthing process in what the Wurtzes call social, social childbirth. In Lying In, A History of Childbirth in America, the Wurtzes examined the social relationships between women and their midwives, the, prof- the professionalization of medicine, and the shift from female-controlled experience to a male-controlled one. The representation of much of the experiences of childbirth in early America was romanticized and quote, birth birth continued to be a fundamental occasion for the expression of care and love among women. Although birth was a social gathering, it was not always a calm and joyful experience. The Wurtz's and other scholars have noted this distorted view of childbirth in early America. It is misleading to view childbirth as a jubilant occasion because many women feared delivery because of the very real possibilities of death or serious injury. And that fear played a role in changing traditional birthing methods. (coughs) Excuse me. By the mid 18th century, the medical training developed in great Britain influenced a growing number of American men, men who went to England for medical training came back and quote, well-to-do families, uh, especially the urban elite, soon came to believe that physicians provided better care than was possible with female midwives and thus offered the best hope for a successful birth. Male midwives had already been practicing in England during the previous century and were becoming more acceptable to members of upper-class society. In the United States during the mid-19th century, scientific attitudes towards women attempted to address the, quote, woman problem as societal norms implied that the advancement of women's education was harmful to their health and they were no longer competent to make medical decisions. Historian Judith Walzer Leavitt explains that, although there was a gradual shift toward physician-assisted births in the mid 19th century, that does not mean it was a safer alternative. Medical education and obstetrics began to expand in the 19th century and the use of forceps and drugs promised women a safer and less painful birth experience. However, physicians continued to intervene in the birthing process. Leavitt notes that similar maternal mortality rates for midwives and physician attendant births indicated that physicians, with all their expertise and intervention techniques, did not, as they had promised, enhance the safety of the birth experience. Mm-hmm. During the 20th century, anti-midwife campaigns appeared throughout the United States, labeling midwives as ignorant and claiming that their techniques were unsanitary. Epidemiologist Judith Rooks notes that two titans of 20th century obstetrics, Dr. Joseph DeLee mm-hmm. and Dr. J. Whittridge Williams, spurred the midwife debate, which lasted from 1910 until 1935. Williams participated in the American Association for the Study and Prevention of Infant Mortality, 1910, to determine the standards of obstetrics in the United States. As a professor of obstetrics at Johns Hopkins University, Williams mailed a questionnaire to every four-year medical school in the United States and Canada to gather data on midwifery. After analyzing the completed and returned questionnaires, he concluded that most medical school professors lacked training in obstetrics. Dr. DeLee, head of obstetrics at Northwestern University and author of a widely used obstetrics textbook, argued childbirth is a pathologic process from which, quote, only a small minority of women escape damage. Oh, my God. Rooks argued that the existence of midwives seemed to insult obstetricians in America, noting that Williams believed that if an uneducated woman of the lowest classes may practice obstetrics, is instructed by doctors and licensed by the state, it certainly must require little knowledge and skill. Surely it cannot belong to the science and art of medicine.
1: This guy's a real dick.
0: They're both real dicks. It is within this competing view of what what constitutes medicine that obstetricians such as Williams and DeLee became involved in the campaign to eliminate midwifery. Many women felt more comfortable with midwives because they were a part of a birthing tradition with which they were familiar and they provided much needed support after childbirth. Historian Francis E. Cobran developed four categories of how society perceived the quote, midwife problem. These categories reflected societal and medical profession opinion on midwifery education during the progressive era when programs for lay midwives were were developing. The first viewpoint advocated the immediate abolition of midwives with legal prosecution for any who decided to continue their practice. Second, Corbin, Cobrin, excuse me, Cobrin argues that many within the medical community agreed with the eventual abolition of midwives with careful regulations on those who still practiced until a sufficient number of of physicians had been educated to take their place. A third group claimed that professionals wished to educate US midwives until they reached the capabilities of British and European midwives. And lastly, a group that thought that if midwives could be trained to wash their hands and use silver nitrate drops for the treatment of gonorrheal ophthalmic, then no more should be expected. These four viewpoints represent the societal perspectives of the time, with the first two appearing to be the most accurate description uh, to, of attempts to regulate midwives. The controversy surrounding Florida midwives continues to be addressed in the histior- historiography, <laughs> 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 particularly in the work of Deborah Ann Susie and Mary Pugh Mathis. The debate surrounding the developments of midwife institutions by Susie argues that these educations were not created to further the Black midwives' educations, but rather to gain government control and dismantle the occupation. Conversely, Mathis argues that the modernization of state policy institutionalized lay midwifery in Florida. Susie's dissertation, In the Way of Our Grandmothers, A Socio-cultural Look at Modern American Midwifery, provide an overview of the state's role in eliminating midwifery. Because African-American midwives compromised with the state by participating in the Florida midwife program, this ultimately, quote, led to replacement of the traditional lay midwife with the modern nurse midwife. In her dissertation, Lay Midwifery in the 20th Century, American South... I'm just going to repeat that Mm -hmm. sentence. (laughs) In her dissertation... Mm -hmm lay midwifery in the 20th century American South, public health policy and practice, Mary Pugh Mathis argues that although scholars have begun to study state policy on Southern midwives, they have not examined how the role of the state may have played in the institutionalized and persistence of the practice. Using Florida as a case study, Mathis demonstrates that contrary to popular scholarship, specifically Susie's assessment of Florida midwifery, that Southern black lay midwifery was embedded in the demographic economic and political changes taking place in Florida. I argue, um, this of course is Megan Bowes, the author. I argue that instead of killing off midwifery, the midwife act of 1931 ultimately continued to ultimately allowed it to continue, although at a reduced level and only in rural Florida, Florida areas until the mid 20th century. Legislative measures taken by the state of Florida in 1982 as it it attempted to impose new regulations on midwives seeking licensure provided provided a modern perspective on midwifery. Uh, Robbie Davis Floyd and Elizabeth Davis offer new theoretical framework of analysis by arguing that there had been a transformation among midwives. Using the term, quote, postmodern midwifery, Davis Floyd and Davis argue that this label encompasses midwives who are educated, articulated, organized, political, and highly conscious of both their cultural uniqueness and their global importance. Essentially, the the postmodern midwife advocates for traditional birthing techniques while accommodating other medical systems of care. In addition, the postmodern midwife becomes hyper-educated in the science of obstetrics so they can both defend themselves against legal persecution by the medical establishment, and work to change the laws that keep them legally marginal. uh, This distinct approach is relevant to this discussion and the contemporary midwives in Florida who rallied together to formally legalize midwifery. Recognizing that by being an organized political group, they could inspire change, Florida midwives thus represent the quote, postmodern midwife. By using this idea of the postmodern midwife, Um, This chapter fits into the larger historical discourse by analyzing state intervention against the modern midwife. (sighs) So that was her introduction. Um, And I feel like there was just like so much um, so much information that went that came out of that Mm -hmm. introduction. Um, And of course, I have like a whole fucking five pages that um, I'm going to continue to get to, and I have a timeline that also came from her dissertation. So, um, while I attempted to not completely like plagiarize her entire paper, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a, a lot of it is directly like quoted mm-hmm. um, from from her dissertation. So, um, do you want to hear the timeline? I do. So, in 1922, Lori... Re- Lori... Okay. <laughs> I think I've just been, like, straight reading for so long, I'm, like, all fucked uh, up. Let me sip my coffee.
1: <clears throat> have one of your beverages.
0: Oh, sorry. <clears throat> okay. I'm just, like, banging all this shit around. Sorry, all right. <laughs> in 1922... Lori Jean Reed develops the Manual of Instruction for Midwives. 1931, the Midwife Act is passed. 1933, Midwife Instruction Program opens in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, between 1963 and 1964, I think there's some discrepancy because you have, I have... 64. You have yeah. 64. And um, there were many other papers referenced here. Um, but in, in her dissertation, she states 1963, so we'll just say between 63 and 64. Mm-hmm. We have 191 licensed midwives in Florida. By 1974, we're down to 57. In 1979, uh, MAF, which is the Midwives Association of Florida, is formed. Ruling in state versus BIA declares the Midwife Act of 1931 unconstitutional. In 1980, State versus McTeague, uh, court rules over vague definitions in the Florida statute 485, which is the Midwife Act from 1931. 1982, the Midwifery Practice Act, Florida statute 467, is passed. 1983, North North Florida School of Midwifery opens. State versus Petty Eifert uh, ruled the guidelines stipulated by the Department of Health and Rehabilitative Services were an invalid exercise of delegated legislative authority. 1984, South Florida School of Midwifery opens, but the Myers Amendment is passed Mm -hmm. and restricts further licensing of midwives in Florida. 1986, North Florida School of Midwifery closes. Uh, 1990, Senate Committee on Health and Rehabilitative Mm -hmm. Services uh, releases the Sunrise Report it recommends re-establishing licensure for midwifery. 1992, new midwifery legislation is passed. Uh, this is House Bill 553. In 1994, Miami-Dade Community College is offering a degree for licensed midwifery. And in 1995, FSTM is opened. Mm.
1: I feel like, don't you think it's crazy that it's like, okay, we want midwives. Now we don't want midwives. We <laughs> want midwives. Now we don't want midwives. Like, Jesus, just make up your mind.
0: Oh, yeah. You so um, it definitely comes down to, like, the b- politics uh, was heavily influenced by the physicians yeah, locally. So where it's like, I- I'm going to get into this, but. It's, like, uh, we fucking hate them, but, like, I kind of need them here because, mm-hmm. like, I can't serve everybody or sure. won't or serve Or don't want to. Yeah. Everybody. Mm-hmm.
1: And even though they're dumb and don't know what they're doing, I guess those, like, poor black people, can, mm-hmm. they can use them.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the practice of midwifery can be traced back to the Paleolithic era. Mm-hmm. This is uh, 40,000 B.C., Holy crap. where pregnancy and childbirth required people to give birth in challenging and often life-threatening environments, uterus having people supported themselves during birth based on knowledge and skills they learned from observing other mammals. In Europe and the Mediterranean, the arrival of the high Middle Ages, so 1, to uh, 1,250 A.D., I don't know how you say that <laughs> mm-hmm. brought the belief that midwives or healers were heretics or witches That's and so would therefore be prosecuted and eventually executed for practicing witchcraft mm-hmm. while these are some fun and slightly enraging facts about midwifery i'll get a little more in depth with the history of midwifery in florida specifically since we live and practice here and are ultimately affected the most by this history um So again, the uh, dissertation that I am mainly quoting um, is A Cascade of Intervention, Legislating Midwifery in Florida, 1920 to 1992 by Megan Bowes from 2014. So in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, midwives in Florida were mainly African-American and known as the granny midwives. Mm -hmm. This was a negative term uh, that black midwives were never able to separate themselves from uh, that deemed them to be unclean, uneducated and unskilled. Um, These midwives traveled within their communities, uh, typically lower socioeconomic status areas, serving their local black and white families. Midwives became the leading choice in these neighborhoods, while Southern society, segregation laws, and racial animosity made it highly unlikely that white physicians would attend rural black birthing people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It was really cheeky when I was typing this, I guess. What did you say? I was like, these pricks. <clears throat> excuse me <laughs> um physicians who considered granny midwives a quote necessary evil tolerated them due to a lack of i.e refusal to care for poor and or black families
1: also can we just like fast forward to present day and one of the ways to fix the issues around like black maternal mortality is to give them a black provider
0: mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> Um, midwives were providing a much needed service as there were not enough physicians willing or able to meet the demands for childbirth services, but white medical professionals were resistant to the midwives efforts and attempted to run smear campaigns and restrict their abilities to serve their communities by tightening educational standards after Florida health officials recognized and attempted to reduce the very high maternal and infant mortality rates. In 1924, Florida had 81.8 infant deaths and 12.1 maternal deaths per 1,000 births.
1: That's a lot.
0: That's a lot. Yeah. Which was among the highest in the nation at the time. Uh, these deaths were attributed as the quote, midwife problem mm-hmm, Of course. and the product of uneducated black midwives. Mm-hmm. Smear campaigns were enacted against midwives all across America uh, around the turn of the century using Black midwives and Italian or Ukrainian immigrants in advertisements for how filthy, illiterate, and menial midwives were. In 1921, the Shepherd Towner Act was passed, which was the first federal matching grant health program, wherein the federal government matched state expenditures on infant and maternal health programs on a one-for-one basis up to an explicit cap determined by a state's population. 10 years before the passing of the Shepherd Towner Act, Dr. C.E. Terry, the municipal health officer in Jacksonville had conveyed a deep contempt for granny midwives, blaming the high stillbirth rates on them, though he was quoted using awful expletives to describe these treasured community members in Jacksonville, 1910 to 1911, 17.52% of all black births were stillbirths.
1: Wow.
0: Too high, compared to 7.49% of white births. At that time, physicians attended 48.3% attended of births, whereas midwives attended 51.7%. Stillbirths in the physician's practice was 8.6% and 16.11% in the midwife's practice, Uh, which this is purely like uh, my my opinion, Um, but I feel like that those statistics there have leached into modern literature uh, that touts an elevated risk for infant and maternal mortality when planning home birth with a midwife. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is the shit we mean when we say like institutionalized racism and like why having maternal race taken off of the VBAC calculator and shit like that is a really big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. OK, so back to it. Uh, in 1922, there were over 4000 midwives in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. But by 1929, the state had deemed 3,000 of these midwives physically unfit or of such mentality that they were incapable of receiving instruction.
1: Unbelievable. In
0: 1924, the state implemented an intrusive screening process where they would inspect the midwives' homes, medical bags, and personal cleanliness, including communicable diseases
1: oh my god
0: roughly 500 midwives declined the screen and gave up their pursuit to practice good for them um
1: i mean what my home this is (laughs) not where i attend to people Mm -hmm. fuck you Mm
0: -hmm. i'm sorry you're doing that for doctors who are probably like running rampant with syphilis at this time no um In 1927, Florida began regulating midwives in that if you were not registered as a midwife with the state, you could not call yourself a midwife nor practice under the scope of midwifery. Florida required a $1 fee and registration with the clerk of circuit court in order to obtain a license. Registrants were mandated to release demographic and biographical information, undergo syphilis and various venereal disease screenings, Additionally, midwives couldn't accept a patient into care until the patient was thoroughly screened by a physician. This ensured that the midwives were being monitored closely by the state's government. Uh, With continued efforts to improve mortality rates, Florida passed the Midwife Practice Act of 1931 to control and license midwives for the protection of mothers at childbirth.
1: Also, they're testing these midwives for syphilis. Like, do they know how that spread? (laughs) I
0: don't understand why. Yeah. I, um, applicants must be literate, fill out, submit a birth certificate and demonstrate cleanliness in, pub, in public and their own homes. Participate in at least 15 cases of labor and delivery as well as care for 15 mothers and infants during the lying in period while under supervision. However, this act also restricted midwives from utilizing instruments to assist in deliveries and forced midwives to the standby uh, or to by for a physician uh, during complicated deliveries such as noncephalic presentations. The Midwife Practice Act also began to control the appearance of midwives forbidding traditional or personal garb or garments worn during patient care as this was seen as unsanitary and forcing midwives into white medical uniforms. The new Florida midwives were required to carry a, a black leather medical bag. Uh, they had a little tag mm-hmm. on it that listed the contents. And it was only to contain soap, Lysol, blunt scissors, and other instruments that needed to be kept clean at all times. Um, the manual for midwives was being widely used in training the new and existing midwives throughout Florida many of whom were barely literate. It's debatable whether the manual and trainings were truly beneficial to these midwives or whether it could be seen as colonizing mm-hmm. the remaining Florida midwifery community. I, I feel as though the, the author of this dissertation was truly trying to like lean towards the positive, um, you know, kind of, arguing that it was, this was like a healthy move. Um, but I definitely don't look at it like that. No. I, I truly feel like, I mean, because it's a white woman who is teaching a class of black midwives. Um,
1: who ha- probably have a ton more experience than they do.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and trust within their own communities. Now this, the person um, who, I, I didn't really super get into her. I'm not even sure if I like mentioned her in here because it was just so much. Um, Julie Graves or something like that. she she did attempt to really connect um, with these midwives mm-hmm. um, and learn about like their uh, culture and traditions and stuff like that and and kept record of these t- traditions. But then also was like, this is the reason why all of these babies are dying. So it's, it, it, it really didn't have like a great vibe, you know?
1: I'm going to learn about them so I can shit on them.
0: I, yeah. Um, like who are you bringing this information back to? It's, you know, um, so anyway, um, I, I definitely look at it as more of like a colonizing movement through midwifery. Uh, however, from 1924 to 1940, Florida saw a drastic decline in maternal and infant mortality rates of 46.2% and 34.4% respectively. The Midwife Practice Act of 1931 remained unmodified until
1: 1982.
0: Jesus. <laughs> um, By 1963, 1964, remember, there were only 191 midwives that were licensed in Florida, of which only 57 remained licensed a decade later. However, the movement of the counterculture in the 70s brought back a desire to seek a normal and natural pregnancy and childbirth, leading people back to midwives. The Midwife Practice Act of 1982, Florida Statute 467, stressed safe education and licensing requirements, as well as the recognition of the, quote, need for parents' freedom in choice of the manner of cost and setting for their births. The 1982 revision also defined safe practices as, quote, normal labor and childbirth means the physiological process of a healthy person giving birth to a healthy baby and expelling an intact placenta without injury, complication, or undo strain so um going back to our time and then i can fucking find it yeah. <laughs> um okay so 1984 um mm-hmm. sorry So, in 1984, uh, the the Myers Amendment is passed um, and was basically meant to actively fucking demolish midwifery as we know it. Uh, It stipulated that only midwives then already licensed or currently enrolled in one of the two midwifery schools in Florida would still be able to practice legally and that the Department of Health and Rehabilitative Services would no longer issue midwifery licenses. Um, So, meaning the classes of midwifery students currently enrolled in either of the two Florida schools would be the last classes to be able to legally obtain a midwifery education and opportunity for licensure. Um, And then, in
1: 1992, I'm sorry. Did mm. it, did you look at like who was Myers? Why was it called Myers? Like the Myers Amendment? Oh, it's like
0: did someone have this like a
1: haircut ass and they are like, oh, "We're done with your guys." Like the 60s and 70s come along and we're doing like peace, love, let's have babies, and then someone else came along and was like, "I think this is terrible," or got lobbied by. So there's a. Uh...
0: Whole bunch of information that kind of precedes all of that, mm. but when math, uh, math had formed mm. and they were starting to do all of this lobbying mm. uh, to redefine everything, it gave the opportunity to come in and add this shit
1: so they opened it and now that's why that got in
0: there. So there was something within the um, uh, Midwifery Practice Act of 1982 Mm -hmm. that allowed them to revisit it like every two years. Oh,
1: that was the sunset review. Every two years they could go back and open
0: it up again. Mm -hmm. So then in 1984, that was when the Myers amendment was kind Mm -hmm. of snuck in there and it, it inadvertently like kind of shut it down when math was really lobbying with these efforts to like make it be like a good thing um to have this like midwifery regulation um i i don't actually recall seeing why it was named the myers amendment Mm -hmm. um it very well could be in there but it's very long Mm -hmm. and sometimes i was (laughs) skinny um Okay. So House Bill 1513 modified legislative intent regulating the licensure of midwives, definitions and training requirements, and authorized collaboration with physicians in hospital settings, uh, in hospital training. Senate Bill 1066 sought to increase the minimum age to attend midwifery training from 18 to 21. In 1990, the State Committee on Health and Rehabilitative Services completed a study called the Sunrise Report, which reviewed midwifery practices between 1984 and 1990. The study attempted to undermine whether the practice of midwifery should be permitted, quote, beyond the scope of the 1984 enactment, and concluded that with modifications in midwifery education, the practice of midwifery was not dangerous, shocker. Yeah to the public, and in fact would be dangerous to mothers and babies if the bill did not pass. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, of course, in 1994, um, the Miami Dade Community College offers a degree for licensed midwifery, and then in 95, the Florida School of Traditional Midwifery opens. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would I'd like to just wrap up my segment uh, with a lovely quote by Dr. Michelle O'Don, um, of which was actually included in the dissertation. Unfortunately, the role of obstetrics has never been to help women give birth. There's a big difference between the medical discipline we call obstetrics and something completely different, the art of midwifery. If we want to find safe alternatives to obstetrics, we must rediscover midwifery. To rediscover midwifery is the same as giving back childbirth to women, and imagine the future if surgical teams were at the service of the midwives and the women instead of controlling them.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful.
0: Um When we were researching last week, also obstetrics was looking for midwives. So mmm. Did you know I didn't.
1: Okay, so obstetrics, the way that it is in Latin, is O E S T E T R I X, and it means a midwife. Wow, and they changed it to obstetrics because they didn't want to call men midwives. Hmm. Uh, I did this. So I'm going to do. Actually, I think I have one more question for you. Please. When you were doing the information about the statistics for stillborns, um, did they end up like circling back and saying, like, this is actually the problem?
0: So one of the things in that, like, 1910 to 1911, that Dr. C.E. Terry. Mm-hmm. He, he was utilizing statistics kind of inappropriately Mm -hmm. was the way that I interpreted, um, that in that he was either, um, like utilizing statistics within his practice, Mm -hmm. um, or whatever, but it, it seemed to be that it was not like well done gotcha. research or true yeah. true statistics
1: like he was playing with the data to just get it same
0: yeah um while the the maternity and infant mortality rates were very high in florida um it also i so i feel like while he was it it seemed like he was like skewing that data, Mm -hmm. but also like it leads me to believe white male obstetricians were refusing to attend black births. Um, It was forcing the community midwives to care for people who were not uh, in a good, who were not appropriate for midwifery care because they were not actually low risk. And as we know, you know, without getting too deep, is that like in the black community and indigenous and, you know, people of color in general, they are at a higher risk Mm -hmm. for high blood pressure, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, which is a high blood pressure disorder. Um, You know, all of those, things um that can make somebody high risk Mm -hmm. um and of course i while they were monitoring blood pressure they were not monitoring for like gestational diabetes so it's very possible that like some of these things were just going missed Mm -hmm. and of course they didn't have cesareans available at home so you know um i i think it was possibly true that the numbers You know, were that high, high, but for reasons.
1: But that's not the whole truth.
0: Right. Because they had to be, they had to be there caring Mm -hmm. for these people who were not appropriate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, of course, like, those are the reasons why people die in childbirth, right? Babies that are too large, babies that can't fit Mm -hmm. uh, through the pelvis, um, you know, maternal Seizure or stroke or blood pressure yeah. issues or hemorrhage. um So, of course, like if they're having to care for these people because a white obstetrician is going mm-hmm. to refuse to mm-hmm. care for them, what other choice do they have? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's like a double win to force them into those situations and then turn around and be like, hey, you're actually terrible at what you do. It. It's like, fuck uh-huh.
0: off. Yes, uh, absolutely.
1: Erica, that was lovely. No surprise. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so she got to do history, which is a little more fun. I'm going to do like our current laws and regulations, which for the people who are listening, um, I feel like this is really useful information in that because there is kind of this idea that we are just like a bunch of hippies who come around and like, you know, I don't know, like thing drums around you while you give birth. It's not actually true. Um, so Erica did a really good job with the timeline. Um, a few things that I put online were just kind of how it was like, they allowed us to be midwives, then they took it away. They allowed us to be (laughs) midwives and then took it away. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I have 1992 licensure reopened. Um, and so that's when they started letting us do this work again, at least for like a more current timeline for us. And then in 2006, they finally legalized home birth after cesareans in the state of Florida, mm-hmm. which um, you know that seems like so recent. It's kind of hard to believe that it took all that time. Yeah, absolutely um, to happen. So I thought I would go over some of the requirements in the state of Florida for us to be midwives. Um, so to get licensure, obviously there are some like different prerequisites in terms of like English, math, etc. Um, We have three years minimum of course study in clinical training. The clinical training has to include um, 25 intrapartum observes. So we have to make sure that we're seeing how midwives counsel their clients um, for all different things that come up and then um, after birth as well. We need to complete 50 birth managements. Um, All of this is of course um, under the observation of our preceptor and then also 50 newborn exams and then i feel like maybe this is different from when you got licensed but it says we require five sutures to be performed
0: i do believe that number is different um i think we had something like along the lines of four Mm -hmm. so i don't think it's too different but um it is it is crazy to even think that it's gone up because you just never do that that. Mm yeah
1: um and so Hopefully that gives you like a little bit of confidence on that, even if you're newly licensed. Like we've been through um, a lot of different scenarios. We've seen a lot of things. We've watched a lot of women at birth. We look at newborns to see like what's normal, what's not normal before we even get licensed. Um, But I went on to say that um, we also have to carry no practice insurance. I think some people Mm don't realize that um, in the event that anything does go or lie and we are at fault. Um, to keep in fact that we are autonomous providers, we're able to prescribe or administer medication as indicated or needed. Um, so unlike even certified nurse midwives, when you need an obstetrician to sign off on these things, we do not. Uh, we carry medical equipment and medications to every birth. So also, if you've never asked or seen, like we do, actually bring equipment with us um, to resuscitate newborns. Um, to administer medication if necessary and those things um, our ability to administer those things are in our law law. some of the things that we can't do in florida however we cannot attend breach births Mm -hmm. we cannot attend any multiples Mm -hmm. Um, and also high risk so erica had mentioned this previously but i listed for example like hypertension pre if they have gestational diabetes that's not controlled through food or diet, you truly do have to be low risk so that you're appropriate for our care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very explicit in our law rule. And then...
0: And what constitutes low risk? So what else do we have to do to determine that?
1: So we have to fill out a risk assessment at your initial prenatal. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending, like, each thing on that risk assessment has its own score, um, but anything over a three, we actually have to refer out to a doctor, mm-hmm. and they have to tell us whether or not this person will have a normal labor and delivery. Or delivery. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, just a couple of things off the top of my head on that risk okay. assessment. Uh, so, one thing that is a risk score of three mm-hmm. is if you've had completed five full-term deliveries. Mm-hmm. Five. Is a risk score of three, um, or if you've had three consecutive mm-hmm. miscarriages. Mm-hmm. Um, so what those are
1: on there. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: like smoking, which should be a big deal, yep, is actually not a big deal as long as it's under ten cigarettes a day. That's- you,
0: just half a pack or less <laughs> um, is all you need to have a risk score of one. Yeah. Um, and but BMI, for example, if if Uh, And it just gives, like, the height and then, like, a range for weight. It doesn't Mm -hmm. give, like, a BMI, um, um, like, points. Yeah. Um, But if you are one pound outside of that range that they provide, that's a risk score of two. So then if you have one other thing, any one other thing with BMI, even if it's, like, a, am 40.
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: and you know one pound over that weight range we have to send for consultation and sometimes i feel like the, the you know our clients understand that that's what our requirement is yeah um in order to practice and and i mean it truly does help keep people like safe you know determining their safety um uh when planning a home birth But sometimes these physicians, these MFMs, especially those who are very familiar with the community midwives, um, especially here in Tampa, they're like, what are you doing here? (laughs) They just, they're used to seeing fucking shit shows. Um, And so they're like, oh, okay. So you were, uh, you failed your one hour on the glucose, on the two hour glucose test, but like your numbers are good they're like um you can see a nutritionist if you want uh make sure you keep your numbers under this and i guess just come back if you want you know um and so it's like they they will dictate the um the guidelines for monitoring you know uh through the third trimester and, and that term um but other than that it's just like i'm sorry like why are you here but it's like i have to send then yeah. that's why you know
1: i mean i think it's really interesting too especially um because one of the things on there that's left me from wrong is like if they're on any medications for mental illness mm-hmm. and i feel like you know as that becomes more normal um, mm-hmm. for our clientele like in this baby i feel like some of that stuff is going to have to be altered because like if you're on depression medicine or anxiety or things like that i just feel like those should be for like more what's the word i want to use severe mental illness
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and so i'm wondering if like that stuff will be updated at some point
0: Mm -hmm. yeah we'll
1: see um so yes we do ensure that you are at low risk and that it is appropriate for you to stay in our care um but a couple of things i wanted to mention is that so there are states where it's illegal meaning they don't realize Um, they don't have any like licensure or anything like that to practice. So Connecticut, Hawaii, Kansas, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Missouri, Nevada, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, which it has like an asterisk and it says voluntary licensure Hmm. and then uh, Pennsylvania and Tennessee. Hmm. So not illegal, but there's no requirements, which I feel like while some of the laws don't really make sense for what we do, it also is supposed to have like give you the security of knowing that like the person in front of you has been trained, has experience. You're not just hitting like some mm-hmm. woman in the forest. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is too, it our law here in Florida mm-hmm. allows us to um obtain medications and and yes. carry those medications. Um for example like mesoprostol and pitocin for postpartum Mm -hmm. hemorrhage um even metrogen for those who choose to carry it um you know uh we are allowed to carry those things in a state where there is nothing no regulation yeah they're not allowed to carry those things yeah they could be you know they could be charged um with a crime if they're carrying these medications and they don't have an MD.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so, you know, it's we are very fortunate where we can, you know, where we are in this state where we can access like those those things that we know work well for Mm this particular complication.
1: Agreed. Um, And so illegal with an i mm-hmm. there's seven of them um which actually i haven't asked next to one so alabama illinois iowa kentucky nebraska north carolina and south dakota but actually alabama finally brought back licensure in 2019.
0: wow yeah okay
1: um so they brought it to legislation in 2017 and then in 2019 apparently like that class or however you want to say it whatever prerequisites were required, um, they finally issued their first license in 2019. The thing that's really crazy to me is you have those states where it's illegal and then illegal, but unassisted birth is legal in every state. Right. So totally fine to have your baby with no one there to help you. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then to like wrap that portion up, if there is so for example, in the state of Florida, if you're practicing without a license, if your license is suspended, if you're a student midwife, it's actually a third degree felony. So on the flip side, there's also um not just fines, but it's, there's criminal charges brought against you if you are practicing without a license.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: You know. So I feel like I think it's good because it gives us some kind of guideline. Um, While well, I do wish we could go in and like update some of our laws and regulations and things like that, um, at least the community can feel confident that they are getting well educated midwives who, for the most part, are
0: practicing within like, a certain scope. What's really cool is that the state of Florida has the strictest standards mm. for licensure yeah. in the nation. So even people like who have been practicing for 25 years yeah. in another state, mm-hmm. they cannot move here and just be able to get a license. They have to go through um, what's called a licensure by endorsement program yes. minimally yes. Uh, to be able to get licensed here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, and and I it, that's the thing with our law and rule, right? We've seen this in the history that when they open it up,
1: it it'll go the other way
0: it could go, go the us, other so. way yeah um and so it's like are there some things that i think are bullshit? absolutely yeah. um but at this point um it does seem as though midwives and mfms at least in are this it. area i yeah. uh, cannot speak to other areas um many of the midwives here practice pretty pretty safely Mm -hmm. and and within the scope of our law yeah um and uh have decent relationships with the mfm providers in this area where you know um or even um other normal ob's Mm -hmm. um who are not mfms um you know like i have a couple that i can like directly call their cell phone and be like hey yeah here's report on this person this is why we're coming and they have developed such great relationships with me over the years they know that i'm gonna do my very best to not mm. transfer a shit show of course. um you know they they feel confident that i'm practicing safely
1: yeah
0: um and in a way that is appropriate for midwifery and like okay we're no longer low risk we're going to right. see a physician now
1: right.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah um that's, that's the whole point of collaborative care, too, is that you have midwives um, or, like, nurse practitioners who are taking care of the bulk of people who are just maintaining normalcy, mm-hmm. are low risk, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you have physicians for when you need elevated care.
1: Yeah. I do wish, though, because I feel like for us, there's always that, like, interest and respect for um, the things that uh, obstetricians do. I wish that it was almost like, hey, could we like see what you guys do in a normal situation? You know, I'm, I'm curious how many like normal birth um birth are unmedicated hospital <laughs> births are there? Um, that those doctors get to see? Mm. You know, like do they see any out of hospital births? And not like the birth center attached to hospital. <laughs> you know Ooh, what I mean? Yeah. Just like what that actually looks like. I feel like if they were having the a requirement to see three or five, to know that like, that is necessary, it's a, it's a safe choice, it should be encouraged, because um, I feel like on the flip side, I'm always very interested to see like, well, how do you treat this thing, or mm-hmm. what do you do, or is that, you know, mm-hmm. Um, I do wish we had a little bit more of that kind of collaboration.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely.
1: But, so that's our laws and regulations in the Mitchell. Thank you. Of course. Good that's, work. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thank Much you. Course, like if you have questions about what we can can't do, let us
0: know. Please. Yeah. Absolutely. Or like, you know, being in another state. Mm-hmm. Um, like what is your experience from that state? Yeah. Like, uh, how do you
1: guys find your lives in a state where it's like illegal or
0: illegal Mm -hmm. or like practicing Mm -hmm. midwifery in those in those states like what are your experiences when you recognize someone is no longer low risk or appropriate what if you're two hours from a hospital Mm -hmm. you know because like we're very lucky and fortunate here to have hospitals every um, 30 minutes it, yeah. minimally like every every 20 30 minutes yeah. um and this is definitely not the case in a lot of other states um you know where it's like you'd have to fucking get a helicopter to go to the hospital yeah. <laughs> and it still takes an hour yeah uh um that just sounds and crazy I do wonder like
1: the people that live in rural areas like that if you almost like plan to have a home birth do you know what i mean like after you get like let's say that you're on baby number four or mm-hmm. five, at that point are you like hey listen we're an hour and a half from the hospital
0: the fuck else am and i gonna do, do <laughs>
1: yeah you know yeah um because it's not like you can just camp out and be like well it's us buy my due date yeah you know yeah um yeah that would be very interesting too. So yeah I I know. have a great day guys bye, bye. We live and practice in Florida state, meaning we are referencing our laws and protocols here. So if you're a midwife in another state with a different or no laws or protocols, we'd really love to hear from
0: you. If you're a midwifery client, fan, or otherwise interested in traditional midwifery care, share your questions, experiences, and birth stories by writing to us at midwiveswithnolives at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram. And, and until, until next time, may your coffee be strong and your birth be well-informed. Informed. Shoutouts to my talented and frustrating husband, Bradley John, for editing our episodes ever so lovingly, and to Ashley Hoffman for art designing our incredible jingle. Yay! Bye! Bye!